that time of the week again. It's Flat Out RC podcast time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. My name's Andrew Sill, coming to you from the land down under in sunny Melbourne, Australia. That's right, it, the sun is out. If you've been listening to the podcast over the past few weeks, you've probably heard me talk about how much rain we've had down in my part of the world. And uh, we've had a, a good weekend. I'm recording this on a, a Sunday afternoon. Uh, and the weather is good. The problem is a lot of flying clubs are wet. On my local flying club, the water has subsided, but I had a quick look at the webcams, and it's still a bit messy out there. It looks still a bit wet underfoot. But anyway, we have a good episode. We have an international guest, uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Grant Aston. He's joining me all the way from the U.S., so stay tuned for that because it is an interesting chat with a very interesting man. Uh, we're talking scale, scale building especially. So uh, if you're into that kind of thing, stay tuned. But before we get to that, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. What has been on my mind? Well, I'm hoping that this coming weekend, the Bansdale Warbirds event is going to be on. I am hoping. Uh at the uh, Warbirds over Bairnsdale event, November the 12th and 13th. Field will be open Monday from Friday to Monday. Um, if you're coming, you probably know all about this event. So uh, camping at the fields, a whole bunch of raffle prizes uh, from uh, Model Flight, uh, Ozdars and uh, Boomer RC, um, which is thank you to them. But, uh, yeah, it's $25 per pilot entry. I had a chat with Tony Wilson, secretary, the other day and uh, who's done himself a bit of a mischief. He's hurt his Achilles, actually. He's torn his Achilles. But anyway, he said he's going to be at the event. And I said to him, Tony, what happens if the weather's bad again? When are you going to call it? And he said, by Wednesday, they'll call it. And when this podcast comes out, it's Wednesday. So if you want to know whether it's on or not, just the best place to go is the Bansdale District Model Aero Club Facebook page. Bansdale and District Model Aero Club, B-A-I-R-N-S-D-A-L-E, because uh, they will po- they will notify us. Then the forecast, I'm, let me see if I can see the fo- forecast now. I've just got my phone on in front of me, and I'm hoping that there is an improvement in the, in the, in the forecast because the weather forecast down my neck of the woods still looks like there's more rain coming, but we've got some warm weather. We've got some warm weather. It's going to dry the ground out. I'll tell you what, the Bensdale field is looking phenomenal. I saw a Facebook post that they've been doing some more drainage work out there, but the the the, the strip they tell me is definitely 100% flyable. Um, few wet in some other patches, but that with the weather that we've got coming this week, that should dry up 29 degrees on Thursday, Friday 26, Saturday 26 degrees. It looks like there might be some showers, and same with Sunday. So oh, Sunday 27 degrees. Weather-wise, spot on, people. This is looking good. Five knots. There might be some um, showers. We'll see what happens uh, later in the week when the when the forecast gets a bit more accurate. But wind-wise, we're looking perfect. It's just a matter of if we do get some showers or not at the times when we want to be there. But uh, some definitely some good, nice, warm weather coming up to dry the grounds out. So a bit of a change. I, I really am struggling to know what to wear at the moment because... One minute it's cold, and the next minute it's warm. I've got shorts and a t-shirt on today, and a few days ago I was rugged up because we had fourteen degrees Celsius. So, anyway, um, Ben's event. Hope that it's on. Uh, hoping to shoot a video there, so I'll bring you the sights and sounds and 
can't give you the smells, but uh, you bring the sights and sounds from that event, hopefully, in the coming weeks. Anyway, what's been on my mind, I'll tell you what, something I talk about, which I, I, I laugh because I find it pretty funny, is when people get onto Facebook and ask questions about radios. You know, I'm thinking about buying this radio. Is it any good? Right? And then it starts the whole banter about, oh, well, Futaba's better than Spectrum and Spectrum's better than FR Sky and FR Sky's better than Jetty and oh, everybody needs to have Jetty nowadays. No, but, no, but JR's better. And I've, um, I should read out my response, but I don't know where I can find it. But anyway, I have, uh, I have this standard response generally to people, which is they're all the same. And what I mean by that is if anybody thinks that these protocols, that all these, these 2.4 gig protocols that anybody's using, all these brands is some sophisticated proprietary kind of system, I think we're all fooling ourselves. Uh, I once had a chat with the owner of Dual Sky, and he was doing some interfacing into the different uh, into the different protocols. You know, I asked him, how hard is it to interface with you know JR and Jetty and Spectrum and Futaba? And his words were, "It's very easy. A lot of them are open source protocols, and they have got no problems. You know, in in trying to connect to them." And so that tells me that. You know, the hobby industry didn't invent this 2.4 gig protocol. Uh, it was invented by other people, and 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 primarily for the use in computing in the computing industry. Uh, and so, other people developed it, and we just adapted it for our hobby needs. When it comes to connectivity and things like that, I always say that if there was one brand that was better than the other, or one bad brand that was worse than everybody else, and there were lots of planes being lost as a result, we'd probably know about it, and those companies have to do recalls, et cetera, and you know, address the issues. But we don't hear about those issues. We don't hear about Hobby King Turnergy radios having a 2.4 gig problem. So Futaba, but people have crashed planes at every brand, by the way. Uh, a lot of it, I believe, is because people's. I think at the end of my comment, I wrote, "Just make sure your bat, your receiver, receiver batteries are charged, and go and fly." The reason being is, I think a lot of crashes res- are a result of not charging batteries. Uh, but you know, you, we can always sit there and argue the toss. And what, what I also said in that that post, and I wish I, I wish I prepared myself and brought the uh, brought the comment up, um, was. Nobody's ever done a back-to-back test. Nobody's ever realistically... Um, I, think, I think I found it. I have found it. No, somewhere. You know, nobody's ever done a, a back-to-back test. This is what I wrote. Here it is. I found it. Sorry, everyone. Someone asked the question. I know it depends on many factors, but what, brand, what radio brand and model has less glitches and interference? You know that when people ask that, they're getting pretty bored in their life. It's like I always say when people ask you, what oil do you use in your model engine? It's a pretty boring discussion. This is what I wrote. I said they're all the same. Plus nobody here would be effectively be able to offer advice about this as they have never tested every brand or understand the protocols nor conducted suitable back-to-back environment tests. So, so just assume that they all work as they are all still in business and have hundreds of planes being flown on their systems without problems. All you will hear is statements like, I use Futaba and have never had a problem. I use Spectrum and have never had a problem, just like the FR Sky dudes, the JR dudes, and the countless others. Get whatever you want and make sure your receiver packs a charge. That's exactly what I what I said. And then, so then you go and look at people's 
people's comments and you know one guy good po- good point it's all in the setup no matter what brand radio you use if you don't set it up correctly you're probably going to have issues and you'll have no one to blame but yourself good point i agree some guys won't like this but the new fr sky tandem system has been the most solid system i've run to date full-time 2.4 and 900 megahertz make it fairly bulletproof yeah, but this is the i think it's a marketing ploy where people go and have a 2.4 gig and then they have another megahertz 900 megahertz as a backup just in case just in case well you shouldn't have to if you're losing your 2.4 gig and you're going over to 900 megahertz like how often does that happen like I, i'd love to ask yourself how many planes have you lost to a glitch like how many planes have you lost and you can 100 percent determine that it was a radio problem and for those people, can you tell me why? What was the problem in the protocol? Why was there interference? Why was that brand no good, et cetera, et cetera? Now, I did see that Spectrum have, have announced um, this week, I saw it on Facebook again. I do like Facebook. Uh, that Spectrum had, a, had, a, have had a, found a bug in um, their NX range of radios to do with forward programming. Now, you might you often can see bugs in code of the software of the radio, but that is independent to the radio link. Forward programming is a, is a separate issue to reliability, reliability of your connection to the plane and maintaining control of your plane, really. Yes, you could argue that, you know, if it stuffs up, you know, but forward programming is like for gyros and other stuff that 99.9% of us are not using. Most of us have a very, very, very simple radio setups. Uh, you know, so... I fly Spectrum. And the reason why I fly Spectrum is back in 2007, Spectrum had a 2.4 gig radio. They were the first ones to have it. I needed to buy a radio because I bought a heli and I bought a Spectrum. And guess what? I stuck with it because I got their receivers and I've had no issues with it. So if you ask me what my experience is with Spectrum is, it's been great. No issues whatsoever. And I've had countless flights on countless different airplanes, never had a problem. And I dare say if I bought Futaba, same thing. If I bought JR, same thing. If I bought FR Sky, it'd be the same thing. If I bought Jetty, it'd be the same thing. I think what it comes down to when it comes to purchase of radio is the receiver options, the receiver prices, the um, radio programming functionality, whether you want voice telemetry or, or what kind of models you're going to fly if you need more channels because you've got big scale models with heaps of servos and different functions and all that kind of stuff or you know, telemetry requirements and that kind of stuff. And there are some companies like FR Sky have got some great telemetry options, excellent telemetry options. Um, the way that Spectrum go about the telemetry has changed over the years. We have a separate telemetry receiver. Now they're integrating it. I've always said I'm not a big fan of the AS3X Spectrum receivers and the ones with the gyros built in because I think it dulls down the, the, the flight experience a fair bit. Um, but from a connectivity perspective, I've never really had any issues with any of it. That's just my personal experience. But I know this, that if Futaba or JR or FR Sky or Spectrum or any of these brands had come out had a problem with the radio, we'd all know about it and they probably would have fixed it or they would have pulled that product off the market. Just my opinion. You can argue the point, but it's just my opinion. my favorite time of the podcast that is guest time and this week's guest uh again it came as a referral i often ask for um people you know if you if you can think of anybody that'd be a good guest yell out and i do act on them and it's this is another example where there's a gentleman by the name of grant aston and grant lives in utah in the u.s and i was put onto him by 
Alexis Scott maybe or Ross Bathy or someone. Anyway, one of those two. They do both of them know him. Um, but he's a really great scale model builder. And his thing is the detail. And we talk a bit about that and the lengths that he goes to and the time that he puts into getting some some detail into his models. So I always enjoy speaking to someone overseas and, and turned out that we could just get the time time zones right too. That's one of the reasons why I have trouble getting overseas guests is that the time zone is prohibitive. It was really good in COVID because I was at home all the time, or every weekend at least. So uh, so here's my chat with Grant Aston all the way from Utah. Well, it's my pleasure to have an international guest on the Flat Out RC podcast. We've gone all the way to the US this week because Grant Aston is joining us. Grant, welcome to the Flat Out RC podcast. Well, thank you for the invite. Well, let's give people a bit of an understanding of where are you currently located? Right now I'm in uh, Brigham City, Utah, which is right by the north end of the Great Salt Lake. Um, I have is the, the north end, the mud flats are only about 30 minutes away from where I'm at, and I used to go fly RCs out there. Okay, so Utah is. I watch a lot of YouTubers that are in Utah flying full size planes, um, you know, yeah. the, the bush pilots and stuff like that. So uh, it, it's one place that is on my bucket list to go to Utah. I really would love to get to Utah because the scenery looks amazing there. Yeah, we have we have quite an amazing scenery. We got a desert to the west, and then to the east we got some high mountains. Uh, I'm at four thousand two hundred and twenty feet, and one of them tops out at twelve thousand feet. And according to some geological survey, the Wasatch Front has got the sharpest rise from a valley floor anywhere in the world. And I haven't verified that claim, but it is steep. So you're talking good slope soaring conditions? Oh yeah, really good. Uh, I used to fly real sailplanes over that, and it was it was amazing. As a matter of fact, Logan, that's uh, about thirty miles away, uh, is a world renowned soaring spot. Yeah. Okay. So it's a good good part of the world. Now we got you on to talk about your aero modelling because I got a bit of a tip from some local Aussies that were, that said I need to get you on, and of course I'm I'm happy to have you on. Now, but where did your aero modeling journey begin? Well, um, way, way back. I'm I'm 60 years old, and um, my father started work at Thiokol Corporation, where they make the space shuttle boosters, or used to. And he started in their model shop. So I grew up with him building models, and it really interested me. Uh, I built my first model under his supervision at the age of six. It was a, a, a Gillow's Newport 28. Of course, you know, I had to have a lot of help at the time, but that's where I ended up catching the bug. Did your dad fly model planes or how yeah, did he get into yeah, it? Yeah, he flew them control line. Yeah. Was it control line a big thing in, in America back in the day? Because it seemed in Australia, it seemed like every second boy had a control line plane. Yeah, well, yeah, back in the, the 70s, 60s and 70s, uh, model flying was, was well, is um, how can I put it? Video games have replaced it. So 70% of young kids actually did models. And since radio control wasn't out by then, uh, control line was the thing. And that's all my dad did was control line. 
Okay, so these models that your dad was building, then you built, were they just a, a, a balsa wood kind of construction, or what were they? Oh yeah, balsa wood all the way. I mean, that's about all we had to to use. Uh, balsa wood and good old uh, butyrate and nitrate dope and ambroid glue. You know, <laughs> used in a well ventilated area. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Okay, so then, so you started building models. When did you start flying? I started flying. Um, about the same age as six, uh, dad would be at the control handle with me and he taught me how to do it. Okay. And I picked it up pretty quick. I really enjoyed it. Can you remember what plane you were flying? Yeah, it was a, a Cox little stinker, a little O2O powered plastic biplane of the pit special. Oh, really? Yeah. If I had one of those today, they'd be worth about a grand. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I remember seeing here in Australia back in the 80s, you, you could see these little Cox plastic control line planes everywhere. They'd, they'd, they'd sell them at like all sorts of different um, stores but uh, and and they were cheap. But now you, you see them on the second-hand market and you think, oh, gee. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I have two of those little Cox pit specials with the O2O in them that were special edition. They're all gold plated and they're still in the box and they're numbered. So (laughs) pretty cool. (laughs) That's right. That is right. Okay. So you, you, you find control line and then, okay. What progressed after control line? How did you get into radio control? Well, we went, I went from control line or my father and I up to uh, free flight and build a few of those of course we'd put our name and address in them in case the dethermalizer fell out which it happened mm-hmm. and that was kind of fun and then uh, when i was 15 i bought my first radio control unit it was on the uh, 2700 megahertz frequency which what is what the cb frequency is at mm-hmm. so anytime a truck driver would key in my airplane would take off on its own <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that was way, way back. Yeah, that was uh, long before the seventy-two hundred megahertz, which was on our television frequencies. <laughs> so, I I used to uh, frustrate the neighbor down the road and stand outside his house and turn my transmitter on and watch his television do wacky things. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, good, good idea, especially if they're an <laughs> annoying neighbor. Well, he wasn't annoying. He was just fun to mess with. Oh know? yeah. One of those. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what plane were you flying? What was the first radio control plane? What was the model? Well, the guy that I was annoying, <laughs> he purchased the first radio control plane that I built, which was a SIG Cadet. And he says, you build it, you learn to fly it, and then you teach me. So I did. And I actually soloed on my first flight. And uh, because it was all somewhat natural to me. And then I spent the next 25 years trying to teach him. He just couldn't catch the hang of it. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was the first RC plane I built, but wasn't mine. My first plane was the Sig Cougar. Okay. That was a hot rod. That was a fun airplane. What, what was up front? What motor? Uh, I think it had a K and B forty in the front. Okay. Sounds about right. That's an old, old engine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I haven't really heard of them down here. Okay, and then okay, did uh, where were you flying? Did you join a club or? Well, at that time we would go out on the salt flats 
out by the uh, Brigham City Airport because if you had one plane land there a week, that was busy. Uh. <laughs> so we there was a salt flat that was right next to the runway, and that's where kind of the the club was kind of located. Yeah, that'd be a nice spot there to fly, wouldn't it? Oh, it was really nice and. Until somebody flew in front of a full-size aircraft, and then, of course, yep. they lowered the hammer on that, so no more. Yep. Uh, yep, that's inevitable if something do somebody does the wrong thing yeah. right next to yeah. the door to an airport. Okay, and then how did you keep on progressing? What did you progress into after that? Because I always know that, you know, we, we, we have that first model, but then we always get into something else and, and go down different directions. Which direction did you go down? Well, I went the direction of the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> I... Uh, I flew that Cougar up until I left for the military. And while I was in there, I bought a pilot Stevens Acro and built it in my dorm room. Um, I had the security police knock on my door a few times thinking that I was doing drugs or something because of the smell. <laughs> but I um, flew that down there in uh, New Mexico at Cannon Air Force Base for a few years. And then when I got out of the Air Force, by that time I was married. So that kind of put the financial stoppage on my flying for a while. Okay. What did the other people in the Air Force think of you when you were building a model plane in the dorm? Oh, a lot of them were like, what is that? You know, I'm like, don't you ever do anything? No, <laughs> we just drink beer. I'm like, oh, there's a good life choice for you. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do in the Air Force? Were you flying or? No, I was a crew chief on the F-111. On the F-111? Yeah, the old, you know that one. The, yeah, the, we had him down what here. What do they call the aardvark? Yeah, we, well, we had, um, I had a guest on recently who has built a scratch-built a scratch built an F-111, built a few of them, and it's beautiful. With the, with yeah, the, I've seen the, some of those. They are gorgeous. Yeah, Chris Patterson's his name, and he's, he's building it up here in Queensland, and they've got these swept-back wings, you know, the wings move and all that kind of stuff, and it's... um. Yeah, people are falling in love with I it. I think I saw that one on the internet. Yeah, the, the F-111. That was, was impressive. The F-111 is a popular popular plane down here in Australia because our Air Force had had quite a few of them. I think they just, yeah. they've just retired them, I think. Yeah, they did. Yeah, okay. And what was that experience like? You know, give us a bit of a, a bit of an understanding of what that experience like being crew chief of F-111. It was like a gas station attendant. <laughs> <laughs> Fill them up with gas and liquid oxygen, check the tires and brakes and make sure the maintenance is up on them. Sometimes it, it was uh, a mess. When I first got to Cannon Air Force Base and was assigned the aircraft uh, 681106, they walked me over into the hangar where half of the rear end was missing because it had thrown a turbine wheel and just about destroyed the airplane. So I spent the next three months working on that. Um, and getting help from sheet metal and hydrolysis and engine guys and finally got it up into the air and for the next month it flew the most flights with the least amount of problems so it won the high flyer of the uh, month award which i was very proud of yeah good job sounds like it was a pretty busy time how long how long did you spend in the air force four years Okay, four years. So then you leave that, and then uh, you you get married, and that's it. There's a bit of a bit of a break from your modeling. Well, I was married while I was in the Air Force, and that <laughs> that's why I got out, and I didn't do any modeling for quite some time, till I was able to scratch up enough 
to get another radio and airplane, which was, I can't remember the name of the maker, but it was a Cap 21. Oh, it was a great planes, Cap 21 with that, with a OS 40 FP engine in it. So we're talking about the 80s here, aren't we? Yeah, we're talking the, you bet, the 80s. I'm an old guy, you know. <laughs> Do you know why I can tell that's the 80s? How's Cause, that? Because you said Cap 21 and they were a popular plane back then. <laughs> we don't see many of yeah. them around nowadays, but it was a beautiful looking plane. It was, and it was a great flying airplane. Um, I modified mine. I took a whole bunch of bottom balsa wood out of the tail section so that it wasn't as heavy. And the guys here were like, you'll never get that to fly with a 40 in it. You need a 50 or 60. Hey, it flew great with a 40 in it. By the time I took a, that weight out of the tail end, it was almost a pound lighter than everybody else. Yeah, okay. What else did you get into? Because I know that uh, we're aero modelers. We never stick with one aeroplane, do we? No, no, we don't. But it's, you know, I was off and on with models for quite some time until I finally got a decent job and was able to afford some some fun stuff. And I'm trying to remember what, I got into next, but all these years while I'm working with it, my brother who was two and a half years younger than I am. He was kind of following in my footsteps. So between us, we started to try to one up each other on who had what. Hmm. And um, he passed away about six years ago. And I ended up with his entire inventory. And right now I have enough stuff that I could fill a hobby shop. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! Do you know it's funny though? My guest last week, uh, was it last week or the week before, um, had one aeroplane. Owns one aeroplane. Have you ever heard of an aero model that only owns one aeroplane? That's a sick man. He <laughs> <laughs> yeah. really flies, is. I mean, he, he flies pattern <laughs> pattern aerobatics, competes, and so it's like he thinks if he has anything else, it'd be a distraction. So he just wants to focus on that. But but you know when you. When you think about it, I thought about it, I thought, that's great. Imagine the, you know, what plane will I take to the field today? Well, I've only got one. It's it's just it's yeah. a simple life, isn't it, when you've got one model airplane? Yeah, well, that I'll tell you what, I bet he play he flies that thing like a virtuoso on the violin. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so so during this time when you get back into it, the building, it was were you still had that bug for building models? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've always loved to build and work with my hands. And it's just been the last, I'd have to say, 15 or 20 years that I've really thrown myself into it. Um, I became a machinist, a journeyman machinist, and I've got some machining equipment downstairs, some small desktop stuff. And that's where I create most of the little parts and pieces for these museum quality airplanes. You know, let's talk about a bit of that building stuff now and we'll come back to some of the models that you built and stuff like that um, next. But what I noticed when when I, I got introduced to you through uh, other people and started snooping around, what I could tell is that your model building is going to that next level of detail. It's all about the level of detail that you're going to. Now, and and I believe you've been you've built models and been commissioned to build models for other people um, for for display. Tell us a bit about yes. about how all that happened about you know getting into that sort of detail level of model building. Well, um, people in the area knew that I did this kind of thing, and 
somehow my name got passed on to somebody that worked with the Hill Air Force Base Museum, and they contacted me to build some plastic diorama models for them, and um, just some odds and ends pieces for what they had. And then I posted uh, the Sopwith Camel, the quarter-scale Sopwith Camel that I have just gone way overboard on on detail um, on my Facebook page. And that went, uh, I ended up with a guy that contacted me and asked me to do the instrument panel and fuel manifold assembly for a Spirit of St. Louis in quarter scale that he had built the entire frame for. And it's now back there at the Joe Nall Visitor Center, the Triple Tree Aerodrome oh, Visitor okay. Center. Really? That's pretty good. Cool. And I didn't even charge him for it. I was just, you know, felt honored that he wanted my work. So yeah. Uh, since then, I've had a lot of people contact me, you know, to make parts for them. I'm like, look, you can't afford what I do. You really can't. Because I, what I do really looks good, but it takes me a lot of hours to make that. Yeah, give, give well, give us a bit of an understanding of you know, give us an example of, of something that you've built in the time that it took to build. Um, the instrument panel and that intake or the fuel manifold took me about uh, three months. Three months off and on, you know, three months because I was working at the time. I'm not working any longer, but uh, the I don't know if you've seen the cockpit videos of myself with Camel, but that that has been a a six-year project. Uh, so, you know, it's it's off and on. I tend to chase squirrels, you know, <laughs> set this one aside. I got to work on this one or whatever, you know, but uh, it, it really does take a lot of thought <clears throat> and machining uh, because you can't, you can't really 3D print a part that looks like metal. I mean, you could 3D print it in metal, but then you got to do a lot of filing and polishing to make it look like it was actually made out of metal. So I tend to make my stuff out of aluminum and brass and steel and whatever I need. And what, where are you getting the inspiration of, to, you know, are you looking at a full-size model, uh, a full-size plane and then building, building around it, you know, like copying, copying the detail? Well, yeah, kind of. Well, let me give you an example. The camel, which is the, my, who to grow of aircraft right now. Um, it started with my brother and I. He bought a uh, Balsa USA Fokker D7 mm. in quarter scale. And I says, well, I'm not going to let you fly that German airplane. I'm going to build a British airplane, and I'm going to shoot you down. <laughs> so I started on a Camel, and I bought a McReeves kit off the Internet and realized that the cockpit in this thing was sorely lacking. So I made some some really nice instrument bezels and put it on the instrument panel, and then I looked at the rest and went, you know what? That made everything else look like crap. <laughs> yeah. So it's just one piece after another, and it just kept getting better and better and better the more I worked on it. Yeah, I'm looking at a photo now on your, on your Facebook page. It's just phenomenal, the, that cockpit. Give us an example of what's involved in building, say, the, the instrument gauges. How, how, do you, how do you do that? Well, um, I try to find a really high quality photograph of the gauge itself, and then I'll print it out and cut it out. And that's what I use as the faceplate. 
And then I'll take some plastic or whatever and put up my lathe and make the, the bezel for it, either plastic or aluminum. And then I make, you know, I put a step on the inside for the glass to sit so that the glass is set back the way it should be. Mm. And then in between that little piece of plastic or glass, there's a strip of like cardstock that maybe a sixteenth of an inch wide that I put behind there. And then the instrument itself goes behind that. So you have some depth to it. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it. Does that makes sense. Yeah. See, that's, that's what I talk about detail that I'm looking yeah. at a photo of, of that gauge and just going on that journey with you as you describe it. And it looks like a real gauge. It's you get, right. you're getting that depth within the, within the detail of, of that gauge is, is, is phenomenal there's lots of different things on this on this in this cockpit and there's some switches and things like that are you building all the switches as well yes well those switches that you see over there are are literally for to, to turn the radio on and the ignition on the engine so, so actually... i've taken them out of their housings and i put them in a little piece of brass tube and mounted them in there okay so they're actually functional um, yeah they will be functional uh, believe it or not, that compass that's in there is also functional. I literally used some flat brass stock, soldered it together, and it's on a gimbal, and it does move, a gimbal and a bearing. Um, I think, well, I've got a lot of this on my YouTube channel on how I created it, if anybody's interested in going there. Yeah, yeah, you've got, what, let's plug it now, and we'll plug it again later, but what's that, what's the, it's, what's the name of the YouTube channel? It's just Grant Aston. That's A S T O N G R A N T. Correct. Space A S T O N. Get onto that YouTube channel, and of course, go and have a look at the video of uh, the the the, the sock with camel. Um, we'll talk about that. YouTube well, there's the later. camel on there. There's the uh, instrument panel for the Spirit of St. Louis. There are a bunch of stupid dog videos. <laughs> there are a bunch of really bad jokes on there. I mean, I'm trying to build a YouTube channel so that. I can get a little bit of revenue for more model stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Let's just say that uh, you definitely have a personality. Well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it, it. It's quite, it's quite entertaining. You got to get on, get everyone go and have a look at Grant Aston because he's got some funny stuff on there. Well, look, there's four Grant Astons on YouTube. Uh, two of them are mine. One of them is just a purple G that I started years ago, and I can't get rid of it. The other one has a photograph of an F-101 Voodoo behind it, and that's a painting I did back in 1986. That's the channel you want to be on. You're obviously quite artistic. Yes. Yeah, I've done some artwork that was able to, let's see, I've done four or five paintings, a couple of which are down there at Cannon Air Force Base in their headquarters. and I, I do it for myself. I don't really do it to sell. Well, I'm still looking at this photo of the uh, the sock with camel and uh, all the 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 cabling. Uh, this it's it, how functional is this cockpit? It sounds like it's pretty functional. Like, will the oh, it's all functional. The servos are right behind the firewall, and the servos are connected to the the uh, control stick and the rudder pedals. Okay, so, so everything's moving. It all moves every bit of it. Now, even the throttle. No, the well, the throttle and. The uh, fuel control, they move, but they're not by servos. But you can get in there, play with them, act like you're flying it. <laughs> Gee, that's, that's just so much detail. That's just, that's just amazing. 
So, th- so y- your attention to detail obviously is very, very good. Well, yeah, it's I I think it's a bit anal myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, to get that 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 outcome, you have to be, really. Yeah. Oh, I agree, and it, it's just something that I've I've thrown my heart into, and I do plan on keeping going with this project and flying it because there's no use building something like that and just let it sit. I want to see it in the air. Yeah. It'd be a nice plane to fly as well. Yeah. So it's sitting right now. I need to build the the top outer wing panels. The, the wing center section is pretty much done. The lower wing panels are pretty much done. Uh, I'm in the middle of doing the sheet metal work on it. Uh, I made a bead roller to uh, roll a bead on the cowling and the side panels because they were held on with what's called a Bowden cable. And a lot of modelers kind of cheat and they don't do that. They just put the cable at the end of the cowling. Well, I, I put a groove in there for the cable to go. So I need to finish those. Um, I need to build some little aluminum hinges for the cowling. I mean, there's a lot of little detail that I need to do and, I will be videoing this in more detail than I have before uh, and putting it on my YouTube channel so people can can uh, you know look at it. And I hope what I do inspires others to do likewise. Well, it, it will. It definitely does when, when people you know film those videos of, of the builds and stuff like that, especially the detailed builds. When, when it comes to your approach to building, are you very methodical and, and, and plan out things before you do it? Or are you saying, okay, now I've got to do the cowl. What do I need to do? And then working it out at that point in time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's all in order. It's called hysterical order. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you saw my workbench, you was like, Dude, there's a bench under there. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I do it as I, I get an inspiration to do something. I'm like, yeah, I can do that this way and then I'll do it. Yeah, You know, I may come up up against a brick wall on something I'm trying to make and I'll have to think about it overnight or whatever. And I'll move on to something else. And then out of the blue, something will hit me and I'll go, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, And then you go back to it. How many models right. would you have on the go now? How many are you working on? I wish you'd asked me that a lot sooner. I could have taken a toll. <laughs> no, no. You are such well, a I'm, true aero modeler. I'm helping a couple people with their planes. Um, there's a 12-year-old boy that's just recently gotten interested, and I'm helping him out. I got a couple of his planes I need to fix. I got a couple of friends that come over, and we work at my shop. Um, right now, I'm in repair mode. <laughs> see, that, see, that's the other aspect, you know. Like, there's always this what I call the maintenance phase of uh, of aero modeling, and the more models we have, the more maintenance we have to do or repair work and stuff like that. But uh, Right. Yeah. Well, I, I have a turbine powered F-16 that I had a bad takeoff with and it ripped the nose gear out of it and shoved the face of it right in the dirt and the engine sucked up uh, a bunch of dirt. So that's one of my repair jobs I'm going to do. Well, tell us a bit about, oh, I've got a saying here at the Flat Out RC podcast that all roads lead to turbine jets. Uh, when did you get into, uh, I've noticed on your, you've got an F-16 on your Facebook page. When did you get into jets? Oh, I bought this F-16 about five years ago and I've been flying it out there at the Great Salt Lake and it wasn't till this summer that I got my turbine waiver to fly it at our field. 
So not not a long time. I've been flying a lot of ducted fan stuff, uh, electric ducted fan. So yeah. How do you like the turbine flying? I really like it, but it is expensive. The, those engines are just unbelievably expensive. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm with you. I, I have one. I crashed one, replaced it, and I've, I've vowed that if I crash this one, that's it. I don't think I'll yeah. keep on doing it. Just, well, I. I, this S16 is just solid as a rock, and it is a ball to fly. I love it. Uh, it won't stall. It won't roll off in the stall. Really? It, it'll stick the nose straight in the air and just fall out of the sky, but it won't roll over. So it is a very honest airplane to fly. It's just fast. What's the motor in it? Uh, Jetcat P120. Yeah, okay. So that's what's the wingspan? So oh, I don't know. Um, big one. Fuselage is seven and a half feet. Yeah. I don't know what that is in millimeters. What you t- I got a what multiplier divide 25.4 to get that. That's all right. We can work it out. <laughs> we can work it out. So yeah. it, it, I'm, I'm looking at some photos on your Facebook page, and you've got this F-16, and it looks like it's a, it's a bitumen strip, so you've got a nice paved, paved runway. Is that the, the local flying club? Um, those pictures were taken down in Ogden where I certified for my turbine waiver oh, and that's, okay. uh, that's pavement down there. Yeah. But I don't know if you see the mountains behind it. That's right. Yep. I can. Yeah. No, those are our mountains. <laughs> see, it's such a beautiful spot, Utah. It just, it's amazing. The scenery there. And I, I always say that having a good outlook at your flying field is, uh, just makes everything better as well. Oh yeah. We've got a fantastic club. I just recently posted some some video on my YouTube flying from my field up there in the Logan Valley. And it, it is a beautiful club, beautiful valley. Uh, we got artificial turf around the paved runway and a great awning to be under. And the guys there are just great to be with. Um, we have new people show up interested and they are more than happy to help out. I think I'm looking at some photos from that field and it does look amazing. How many members are in the club? We have about a hundred. Okay. That's, that's well, we only pay a hundred bucks a year to fly there and keep it up and everybody pitches in and helps and that works. Yeah. It's not too bad. Not too bad at all. hundred members at a hundred dollars. That's uh, it's cheaper than flying in Australia. Maybe yeah, probably. Come- if you want to save on, if you want to save on uh, membership fees, move to America. Except our exchange rate, I must say, our our exchange rate here, um, the US dollar to the Australian dollar is absolutely terrible at the moment. So uh, it costs us about. Don't worry, our dollars falling too. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll be there. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. We're on the same boat at the moment. Uh, okay, so the what are some of the models that you've built over the years that that you're really proud of? Oh, let's see. I built a top flight P-40 Warhawk that I, uh, of course, that's an all balsa model that was glassed and riveted and panel lined. Um, a jet hanger hobbies, a four Skyhawk that I did the same thing with. It was electric ducted fan. Unfortunately, it tried to fly through a tree. Uh, yeah. So hate that? didn't make it. But I do have another kit that I'm going to rebuild the plane from and hopefully get about two or three pounds of weight off of it. Yeah. Um, 
I had a couple old VK kits. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. Uh, they were pre-Proctor. Um, these, I'm trying to read the Newport 17, which I built, and the Fokker triplane. That's a lot of weight. And those are, yeah, those are really nice, really nice kits to build if you can ever find them. They're, but believe me, there's a lot involved. Have you stockpiled a few kits for the future? Oh, yeah. I got more kits than I have life left. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, you know, the reason why I ask that is that every builder, you know, every person that I know that loves building kits, uh, they... I call it investment buying. They see something that comes up on the market and they go, gee, that's not bad. I might better get that and keep that for a rainy day. And before you know yeah. it, there's about 20, 30 kits just sitting there uh, waiting for that rainy day. But um, but if you're not working anymore, are you still working at all or not? Or are you retired? Uh, medically retired. Yeah, okay. So, so you- it's kind of a long story on that one. <laughs> um, evidently, uh, employers don't want anybody working for them that are opioid dependent. Okay. Yeah. So you got, yeah, a bit of pain. I've dealt with chronic pain most of my life and it works for me. I don't abuse it, but it showed up on a drug test. They didn't like it. They said, well, we're going to put you on full term disability. I'm like, I don't want to mm. have no choice. Well, now you can spend all your time building model planes. Perfect. Yeah. Well, Disability doesn't pay either. <laughs> no, that's that, that so that's true. why the YouTube channel get it. <laughs> yep, needs needs some subscribers. Okay, so yep. there's a, there's a fair few models there, and currently on the workbench that that you're building for yourself, you got the sop with camel that you're still building. Is there anything else? Um, let's see, F sixteen under repair. I've got a yellow aircraft Spitfire that I want to get to. I uh, got a uh, Royal B twenty five kit that I want to build of good crime and um a proctor curtis jenny that a friend of mine who passed away had framed up that i want to complete in his memory Uh, his name was jake taylor and i want to put jay taylor's flying circus on the side that'd be good yeah uh you know i got more project like i said than i have life left yeah now, okay, let's talk about some tips for builders because, as I said, you're building, you know, at a at a very detailed level. What's your philosophy when it comes to building? What's your approach? Have fun. Um, don't. Well, first of all, I for me, I like to push my limits. I want to see how far I can go, but I don't want to get to the point where I'm so frustrated with the project, I just stop and never go back to it. So don't push yourself to try to complete this thing. Just work on it when you feel like it and keep that hunger within. Mm. And that's, that's about it. And then, you know, if you need inspiration, reach out. Find out who, who's doing what, and maybe you'll get some ideas from them. Yeah, I think sometimes we're our own worst enemies when it comes to big projects like that, where we we feel the pressure that we should be working on it, but uh, the reality is, well, is there really a rush? You know, you come back to it when, you, right. when you're inspired to to work on it. And that's why I think, you know, I've interviewed a lot of builders, and most of them will will shift between projects once they they might get bored of working on one plane they'll go to another plane but then they always come back and eventually things get finished but um 
I think we've just got to be mindful that it, it is about having fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a hobby. It's it's supposed to be relaxing and enjoyable. So if you're not enjoying your project at the time, yeah, I'll I'll switch between projects because I might get inspiration on one that's going on on the side. Say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to work on that one for a little while. You know, get my ideas out, and then I'll sit back and look at it. And say, yeah, I got a little bit. I got a little bit further on that one. That really looks good. Where are you getting your inspiration from? Is it from fellow modelers or are you seeing things online? Um, honestly, I don't have any fellow modelers around me that build at this level. So for me, it's the it's the wow factor. You know, somebody looks at the work I did and they're going, wow. I'm like, yeah, you know, that that's my work. And then my head swells up. <laughs> There's my inspiration. Have you ever competed in scale competitions? No, I've been asked, but that competition kind of brings on that W word work. <laughs> That's true. And I, I really, I don't have the funds to be able to drive clear cross country to, even if I finish this camel, which I'm sure would compete very well, I wouldn't be able to afford to go there. Yeah, you have to travel a bit. That is true. Yeah, the U.S. is like Australia. We've got a lot of expanses out here. <laughs> That's true. And, you know, we have, uh, we've got some very dedicated scale modelers here in Australia that go and compete overseas. And the expense, you know, because everything's far away from Australia. And imagine taking yeah. a big model and having to ship it across the other end of the world to go and compete in an event. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a big 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 effort but uh but we're good at it we have uh you know one of our modelers came second in the world championships this year uh very close to winning so we, we do a good job wow yeah that was a, a pits he's got a beautiful david law he's got a beautiful pits it's uh been working on for many many years now speaking of that um you know do you do you keep on refining the models that you're building, like over time? You know, is it is is it are they ever finished, or do you come back and go, oh look, I think I can improve that? Oh yeah, all the time, all the time. I'll I'll do something and go back later, look at it, go, yeah, you know, I don't quite like that. Uh, the camel, for instance, uh, the cross bracing in the cockpit. I originally put uh, barbecue skewers in there, painted black, you know, which looked good. But then I went, after I got all that detail put in there, I went back and looked at it and went, now it looks like garbage. So I ended up putting turnbuckles and cables in there. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And the uh, uh, the control cables, I ended up redoing all of those because I had a piece of stainless steel wire that looped through the horn and then had a, an aluminum crimp on there. I was like, that's not the way they did it in World War One. I. I wonder if I could do that better. And I ended up wrapping it with some uh, like really fine um, plated tin plated wire and then soldering it. And that looks really close to what they did. So there's my inspiration. I like to try to reproduce the way they did it back then. And for me, working on the old canvas covered airplanes is really a joy because you got some leeway there. They didn't build them all the same. Yeah. This is speaking of covering. What are you generally, how are you finishing off your models? Um, I kind of like the, uh, the Seekonite or the SIG coverall and nitrate dope finish. 
Yeah. It's getting hard to find dope anymore, but luckily I've got a whole closet full of it. What kind of dope are we talking about here? <laughs> well, there's a little funny story behind that. We're talking aircraft dope, nitrate oh. or butyrate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I walked into the hardware store. I went to buy a gallon of acetone. He says, what are you going to use all that for? I says, to thin my dope. Next thing I know, I was talking to the police and yeah. I had, I brought I, the forethought to bring in a bottle of Pactra aircraft dope with me. Uh, and I said, I'm not kidding. Aircraft dope. <laughs> yeah. I, I build model planes. And then of course uh, you're painting over the top then. Yeah. Um, I usually, I usually seal it up with nitrate dope because nitrate won't keep shrinking over time. And it does a really good job of, uh, sealing up the fabric and then i'll use butyrate or sometimes even just spray paint over it mm. depending on you know the aircraft um because for some reason nitrate dope will accept just about any form of paint what's the what's the, what scheme are you using on the camel uh sig coverall yeah but what's the color scheme uh just the the green on top and I'm kind of playing with the different, you know, which one. Right now, there's a there's a camel flying around out there that's got the lettering on the side B01, or the the B, and then the the British sign, and then O1 on it. And I like the looks of that. And that's kind of what I'm going after. Yeah, the top of camel's been a pretty popular model down here in Australia. That they've been, you know, they used to fly them down here. So there's a few in, in Australian sort of colours. A lot of white. I think it's a pretty white. Yeah. Plane. They look quite nice. Well, it's funny that they only painted the tops of them. The bottom was left that natural fabric look, mm. believe it or not. And then some of my planes, when I finish them, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that pink uh, women's hair set tape that's got the pinked edge on it. You yeah. know, the old, the old ladies put it on their hair, you know, while they got a permanent. Yeah, yeah. That stuff works great for painting tape on scale aircraft. I've used it on a couple Cubs and uh, a Kristen Husky. Okay. Oh, husky. And it, it looks the part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are some of your tips for, for, for builders? Like what are some things that you've sort of discovered that are pretty handy tips? Oh, man. You know, you'd have to, you'd have to ask me a, a specific on that because I got all kinds of Okay, Building. glue. What what glue do you like to use when you're putting your models together? Um, cyanoacrylate, uh, super glue. But what I'll do is I'll start with the thin stuff, and then that soaks into the grain, and then you hit it with the thick, or not the thick, but the the medium, and that really forms a really good bond. Uh, in most areas, in high vibration areas, I'll use epoxy. Mm. Um. Some other areas I might use aircraft grade, uh, the stuff they would use on real airplanes for, for the wood, uh, because some of that CA does not like to stick to hardwoods or you know, pine. Pine is really oily and it doesn't like it. Yeah. So that's where you got to use, yeah, you got to use something else. I always find the, the CA stuff's really good when you've got pretty porous wood. So that it can soak yeah, in and, and create wood. that bond. Yeah, it's great with that. Yep. And then usually when I lay my fabric on before, well, I use SIG, or not SIG. Yeah, it is. SIG sticks it. 
to to put the fabric on, you know, the, to iron it down and get it on the frame. And then when I have like say a wing, when I have both top and bottom covered, I'll go around the seam between them with some thin CA okay. and make sure that both are bonded to each other. So when that fabric tightens, it doesn't pull because sometimes you'll get that fabric on there and you'll get it tight. And then you go to put the nitrate on there and the nitrate soaks into the sticks it and the sticks it lets loose. And all of a sudden your fabric pulled. So I always go around the outside edges of whatever piece I put on with a little thin CA to hold it. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. What about, uh, I've never asked this question before, ever, in 125 episodes. Uh, when it comes to hobby knives, it's something that I think we, we take for granted. What are your selection of knives? Like what sizes are you using? Have you got a big selection or or what? No, not really. Um the uh, exacto number 11 blade i use a lot of those i'll order them by packs of hundreds mm. um i have a few scalpel blades around if i have to work with monocote um you know some of that stuff that will dull a normal blade fairly quick like fiberglass cloth mm. the, the scalpel blade cuts it pretty well i, I found that uh, kevlar will dull a number 11 blade like you can't believe <laughs> Yeah, that's what yeah. I find is that some of those exacto blades they just get dulled really quickly, and you're just constantly changing them if you want want a nice nice cut. Oh yeah, yeah, I buy the cheap ones anyway. <laughs> yeah, so do I. Then I just keep on changing them as as I go. Well, there you go. That's the first time I've asked that question about knives. <laughs> um, one here's one trick that we're building. It might you guys might like is. Uh, Dremel Moto Tools. Uh, I use a one-eighth inch two-flute carbide end mill to cut through plywood, balsa, and everything. Just be careful because it'll take fingers with it. Oh, really? But it will go through quarter-inch ply without a problem. Okay. So if you if you glued something on and you're like, man, I forgot to put a hole in it. Get that little two flute end mill out, or even a high speed steel end mill, and it'll take it out. I've been I'm having a battle at the moment with my Dremel and my son, because he he's got into carving pieces of wood with my Dremel. And oh, I, and I said you're gonna break it. You're spending hours on it, and I gave him some other cheap one. And I said this is the one that you can break. This is the one that I need for my planes. So right, yeah. The name Dremel's been in the last week has been going crazy in my head. I'll Put my Dremel down. There you go. I've got one of those. <laughs> yeah. I bought a cordless one, and it's so handy, the little cordless one. Oh, yeah. Just, I'll bet it is. Yeah, just quickly pull it it's out. Something you could take to the field with you. I have a theory, though, Grant, that uh, if I have to pull a Dremel out or a knife or something like that out of the field, that means I've probably done some pretty serious damage, and, and I'm not great at building. I need to concentrate and take it home. I have... I have glued a few things back in place at the field, but uh, if I'm pulling my Dremel out, that's that's probably too much for me and my patients. That's level. serious surgery, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a surgeon. I'm just a general practitioner. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Uh, what part of the building process do you love the most? Oh, I love the frame up. I mean, because you, you build it up quick and right there in front of you, you got something that looks like an airplane. Yeah. Yeah, then true. once I'm at that point, I'm looking at it going, all right, now it's time to get 
nitpicky about this. We're going to make this really nice, you know? <laughs> yeah. So what, what do you hate the most about the building process? Oh, man. Um, looking at the clock at 4 o'clock in the morning, go, oh, man, I've been down here too long. <laughs> I mean, wee hours in the morning, here I am working away with Beethoven playing in the background. I'm in the zone, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, man, the sun's coming up again. <laughs> yeah, but it's, 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 it's when you get into that zone, though, it's a great zone to be in, though. Oh, it is. You really get some work done. Yeah, it, you're enjoying yourself, and yeah, but not to the point where you're like, "Well, I'm going to be useless tomorrow because I didn't sleep." <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. There's always a payoff, isn't there? The have you got a good working area? Yeah, yeah. I've got a a basement in my house. I've got well, I've got a table here that's probably sixteen feet long nine feet wide uh there's enough here for four of us to build at once oh that's good setup and yeah every every friday i got a couple guys that couple friends that come over and we we're supposed to be working on our projects we oh, usually yeah. just point and laugh at each other yeah <laughs> i can imagine i can imagine you know it's something that we don't we don't do here in australia is have basements in our houses but it makes a lot of sense if we did oh yeah yeah, I even took out a wall to make a bigger room downstairs, and it's it's paid off. I mean, it used to be a lot smaller, but when I lost my brother, I lost a big part of me, and I almost gave up the entire hobby. And I come to the decision, I'm either going to really get into this or I'm done. I'm glad I decided to get really into it. Yeah, good move. Was, was he really into the building as well? Oh, yeah, we were always competing against each other. So for some reason, every time he flew his plane, he had parts falling off. <laughs> He's not here to defend himself. So. Yeah, that's right. And what did your dad think of all this, the, the, the family building models? Oh, my dad enjoyed it. Um, he was more of a sports fan, though. But he enjoyed it. He would go with us when we went out and fly, flew RC stuff and he thought it was pretty cool. He wouldn't touch it though. I offered. He's like, no, no, no. I'm not. Uh, uh-uh, I'm not gonna fly that. If I fly something, it's gonna be the real plane. Yeah. Because he's he was a licensed private pilot. We did fly, you know, fairly often. Speaking of flying, what's the flying scene like in uh, in Utah? There are plenty of um, plenty of aero modelers. Uh, yeah, got a lot of guys that fly foam. Seems like foam has taken over just about anything. You know, you buy these. I call them toys <laughs> mm-hmm. because, you, you know, they, they throw them together and, the, you know, on a weekend and then they're out there flying. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's a lot of fun. It really is. I got some of them. They are a hoot. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't have the satisfaction of flying something that you built, you know, and, and the nerves. <laughs> that first takeoff, is it going to go up or is it going to come down in pieces? Yeah. yeah, you never know, and that's the excitement that I like. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I think, you know, yeah, especially if you've spent hours and hours and hours building that model, and the satisfaction of seeing it fly and take to to the to the air is just, is just oh yeah, yeah, especially if you got something unique, you know, something that didn't come out of a, a pre built box. I got a little Sig Demoze that. 
my brother gave me years ago. He's, oh, yeah, this will drive you nuts with all these strings and everything on it. Nah, didn't hurt me at all. I mm. added strings. I made wing warping on it. And then I made the pilot wave. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I take that to the field, people flock around it. They got to take pictures, make the arm move, make the pilot's head yeah. move. I'm like, cool, you know, because he's connected to the control stick, too. So yeah. very animated. that. There was a there was a glider that a, a gentleman down here, Scott Matthews, built, and it's one of those old vintage gliders with um, you know just open framework kind of thing, and the pilot sits right up the front of the nose, and so it's very very oh, vi- yeah. visible. And he made the, the the pilot move with the controls, and that was just that had me. I was like, this is this is a phenomenal model. Uh, mind you, it was a very very heavy glider and probably didn't glide that well, but. I said to him, this is the kind of glider that I'd love to have just hanging from the roof to look at. It was a piece of artwork. It was absolutely beautiful, the, the, the work that he did on that, that glider, and I, I fell in love with it. I think he's yeah, he doesn't may, he may still have it. Doesn't somebody we, we mutually know, Alexis Scott, doesn't he have one like that? Uh, yes. Yes, he yeah. does. Alexis does have um, a glider. It's that same kind of um, same model. I think it could be the same. Yeah, tip. that's what I thought. That is that is really cool. Yeah, yeah. They're um. Could you imagine flying a real one of those, a full size one, just sitting out there in the? Air? I'd do it. Oh, would I you? would do it. I'd see. I'd be. Oh I'd, yeah. I love gliders, and you said you you, you flew full size gliders, and I love. Right. I love gliding. Did you ever get into model gliding as well? Oh yeah. Um, are you kidding? With these mountains around here, you yeah. bet. <laughs> I got a really funny story about that, too. Yeah. Um, my brother and I, we used to go up on the mountainside with these two-meter sailplanes, uh, thermal jobs, you know, the polyhedral wings. Yeah, yeah. And one day, there was not a lot of lift out there. You know, we were throwing them out and doing a few passes, and then we'd have to, you know, bring them in. Well, I was bringing mine in this one day, and I went to grab it to catch it out of the air, and I bumped the stick. And it nosed up a little bit, and I reacted, jumped a little bit too hard, hit the bottom of the glider, didn't miss the grab. And here I am looking straight up at the tail end of this glider that's absolutely vertical in the air. Mm. And in my mind, I know I know what's going to happen. That nose is going to yeah. come right down, <laughs> and it's going to hide right at me. And so I immediately held back on the elevator, and it did exactly what I thought it was going to do. I ducked. The glider went past me, and as I tracked the glider with my eye, I could see my brother right smack in the way. (laughs) And I I said, look out, Mark. And he looked over at me like, what? And hit him right across the eyebrows with the wing. Oh, no. Oh, he had the most stunned look on his face. He dropped his transmitter. His glider starts this death spiral down into the bottom of the mountain area. And he's cussing me. Can't figure out what's wrong with his glider. Picks up his transmitter, levels the wings, pulls it out. And he's sitting there cussing me, using every profanity in the book. And I'm trying to apologize but i'm laughing hysterically <laughs> i pick up my glider and here's this half moon shape right in the leaning edge of the wing oh, no. that's it i lost it again <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love gliders there's something about something about gliders that i really 
really enjoy. oh yeah yeah we used to go up there i had a bob martin bobcat that i flew up there great lift one day I timed it brought my my lounge chair it was up for eight hours and two minutes nah. See, that's yeah that just crazy. smooth constant ridge lift yeah you get a bit of snow in utah don't you uh yeah, well our license plates say the best snow on earth and they mean <laughs> it. I used to snow ski and it is wonderful stuff. What uh so that means do you really get into the building during winter or Oh I do anymore. I can't ski anymore. Because we don't have a lot of snow that hits on the ground, but it gets cold. Yeah. I mean we'll get below freezing and it'll stay there for a month or so and it's not pleasant. Yeah. So um, I build in the winter, I fly in the summer, and hope I don't have to rebuild in the summer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. That is true. We are coming up to your uh, winter time shortly. When do you think the camel will be ready? The what? The, the camel? Think, oh, yeah. Lord, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'd say give it a couple more years because I, I really want to do this one right. Yeah, but yeah. like I said, from now on, when I work on it, I'm going to do some detailed video on it. Uh, when I did it before, it was just pictures and you know to throw on my Facebook, you know, scale RC airplane building techniques group, just to inspire others and to answer questions and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I really didn't think about documenting what I was doing very thoroughly. So this time I'm going to do that as I go. And I might even go back and do some more explanation if, you know, people have uh, questions on how I did stuff. Yeah, that'd be good. That really, that's really helpful because that's, that's what people want. They, they need, they, the inspiration comes from a, a level of detail, like this is how you actually do it. Um, and that's, I think we, we, I've had a lot of guests on and we talk about building and, how people aren't building as much, but I think that uh, it's because people might be a bit scared to and not not sure. And um, you know, people that are good at building, passing on their knowledge is probably what's needed. Right. Well, if they can get a hold of me. They're feel free to ask questions. I'd be glad to help out. I've had I've had people all across the country even get a hold of me on Messenger, and I'll do a video call with them and show them right there what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't mind helping out. I love to inspire others. Yeah. I, I really I really want to see this art form kept. I think it's it's uh diminishing really quick with the advent of these pre-built airplanes. I mean, this it really is an art form. Well, society sort of changed over the years. The internet hasn't helped, but what I'm finding though is a lot of my circle of of aero modeling buddies the they will have a go at building something it's like once you've built a few arfs and and that kind of stuff and you're looking for something else to challenge yourself they'll end up building building something um you know i i did it i started to scratch build just a little ugly stick you know just something like that yeah. uh and it's actually like you said once you see the the framework all built up and it looks like a plane you look at it, and I run around the house and say to my family, look at it. Doesn't look good. Yeah. Look at it. And they're sitting yeah. there and they're going, what? Oh, God. They go, it's what? just another plane. I'm like, but I built it. 
I built it with my own hands and it actually the wing actually fits on the fuselage. <laughs> right, right. You, know, you got that sense of pride and accomplishment. Yeah. But I think it's that level of patience which uh you know a younger generation doesn't have, you know, uh that it's Yeah. You have Instant to have that gratification. Yes. But see we we hardcore aero modelers, we we have that vision in our mind of what the end result's going to look like and we have that patience to work through to get that and that that vision of the end result keeps driving us forward. And that's why I always find that aero modelers are into lots of other hobbies, uh, motorbikes, cars, boats, fishing, things like that. Are you into cars as yeah. well? Oh, yeah. I've got a 73 Dodge Charger that I restored with 700 horse v8 <laughs> only 700 7 liter sure it's enough is 700 enough no no it isn't of course i mean <laughs> yeah. i'm <a> petrol head <laughs> see this is what i'm saying is it just oh, and i say it a lot it just fascinates me how similar we aero modelers are in the way that we're wired and that's always say that you've got to find you know if we want to grow the hobby we have to tap into that 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 psyche of an aero modeler because it's not for everybody. Yeah. Like if I look at my own family, my younger brother flew model planes for a while. My older brother, it was the, it would be the last thing that he ever considered doing because he just does not have that, that vision in his mind or um, that ability to have that vision. And it just sounds all too hard and he's not going to go near it. So it's, it's a bit horses for courses, as we say, there's no, and out of all my, my, my young son's friends, there's one, there's one of them, and he's the guy that has got now a CNC machine, wood cutting machine. He's into 3D printing and designing things on the computer. He wants to build. He knows how to weld, and he's a 15 year old boy, and he's been doing this for for years and years and years. He's the only one, and he's interested in model airplanes as well. But uh, but um, but yeah, it's it's few and far between to try to find some of those people nowadays. But uh, but oh well. Well, it is. It is, and you know. I grew up that if you flew an RC plane, you build it. That there was no question you had about no choice. It. You know, there was yeah. This, this is what I'm saying. There wasn't another choice back then. You had to buy a kit. You had to put it together. It might have taken you a few months, and then more often than not, you crashed the first time you got out there. And if you really were keen, you'd rebuild it. Right. And, well, and, I did a lot of scratch building because actually it was cheaper than buying the kit. Yeah, but see nowadays that's the opposite. Like for us to buy the the balsa and the covering and all, everything that goes with it, it's actually cheaper to buy an ARF because they're being made in well, China. Maybe for you, but not for me. Yeah. <laughs> I had a friend that ran a hobby shop and he says, well, I'm going to quit this. You want to buy some of this stuff? He's like, oh. I'll sell it to you. I walked away with boxes of balsa wood and Tupperware tubs full of hardware. Like I said, I live in a hobby shop. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always say, you know, the, the the what I call the Jubro wall with all the Jubro yeah. things that uh, I always I know I know a number of people that went into a hobby shop that was closing down and just basically bought the Jubro wall at a, a discounted price and uh, and now yeah. they've got their own Jubro wall sitting in their house and it's a that's exactly that, what I've got. Yeah. Yep. A mate of mine did that, and I go, look, the Jubro wool. I said, it's all those things that they could never sell that you're never going to use, you now own. Well done. That's right. That's <laughs> there's just, right. There's just so many different things out there, and it's like, you're never going to use them all, but oh, well. Yeah, well, there's a few things that I, you know, I get running low on, so I cruise eBay to see if anybody's selling it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I got to keep up with the stock. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
Well, Grant, uh, we're up to that final question, the question that everybody can't wait to hear the answer to, and that is, what has been your all-time favourite model? And you've been in the hobby for a while, so it might be a tricky question for you. Right now, it's got to be that camel. I mean, I've had a lot of favourites in the past, but this this I keep hitting on that plane because I have really poured my heart and soul into it. Uh, so it's it's my favorite model, but I think my Turbin F-16 is my favorite to fly. Well, I don't know. That might be my 60 CCS bot, too. Oh, see, <laughs> well, it go. could be the F-4 Phantom, uh, too. <laughs> it's been a while. Like, uh, like, I've asked this question a lot, and I'll tell you what, there's some people who created categories. I always say, no, it's your favorite model, which means the number one. But I've heard, but now you, now you give me four. Yeah, well, Three the camel. <laughs> The camel. Only because I haven't flown it yet. I'm sure it'll be my favorite after it flies. <laughs> well, well, yeah, it will be. It definitely will be. And it, it, it is a masterpiece. I'll see if I can share. I'll have a chat with you off air and we'll see if we can get some photos of it so that we can share it um, so that people can get a picture of the, the detail because it is phenomenal when you see the level that you're working at. It really, really is inspiring. And, and, and of course, Avid Aero model is going to see that and they're going to get that wow factor. They're just going to sit and say, well, that is just a phenomenal build. I'm overwhelmed right now. I mean, wow, thanks for the praise. I mean, serious. No, well deserved. That makes makes all that time on it worth it. Well, there's definitely a correlation between the time that you spend and the outcome when it comes to the detail. And, uh, and, I, I I would struggle to have the patience to do what you do, but I can hundred percent respect and appreciate it. And I'm, and you know what I always say with aero modeling is, we can get a lot of enjoyment from other people's models. It's not just about what we've built or what we're flying. That you know, to be honest, with say turbine jets, I love the look of the turbine jets. I can I'm happy to watch somebody else's jet fly and look at it close up, and and that gives me a lot of satisfaction. And I don't necessarily have that need to go and buy that model or own that model myself in the future. And I think one good thing about the internet is that we can actually get that enjoyment by seeing other people's great, great models and, and talk about it. I've got actually some ideas of content that I want to produce around that, um, as, you know, that, that joy of seeing somebody else's creation, you know. Well, I really appreciate that. I really do. I mean, but it's one thing to remember, though, if you're building, it's not uh, you got to go at it with the right attitude. It's not like, oh, you know, I don't have the patience for that. Then that's the wrong attitude. You need to be like, wow, you know, it would really be neat if it had this on it and that on it and get the ambition and, and the right frame of mind to do it. And that that way you don't burn out on a project. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that concept of burnout is something that we challenge, we're challenged with because we are very visual people and, and and have that vision of that end result and it it can consume us and and become quite daunting. And but pacing yourself and you know if you're not enjoying it, well, stop and do something else. And because right. you end up coming, you exactly. end up coming back to it, and it's that pressure that we put on ourselves. And I think sometimes um, that. Other people put pressure on us. Oh, when are you going to finish that model? When are you going to fly it? You're never going to fly it. All this kind of talk. It's like, well, so what? <laughs> it's like, what's the yeah. rush? What's the rush? Yeah. 
What's yeah. your concern? It's mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's the rush? It took me five years to put a 100cc ARF aerobatic model together. But we're going, when are you going to fly? And I said, well, I'm just not in a rush. It's like I'll, yeah. I'll do bits and pieces as I can. I've been really busy working and family life and all that kind of stuff. And I said, there's no rush because it's not going anywhere. It's not going to yep. fall apart yep. in the trailer. It's just sitting there. So, yep. yeah, no rush, no rush. Well, Grant, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Flat Out RC podcast, our first guest from Utah. And um, I, I, look, if I ever get to come and visit you, that you, you know I've achieved a lifetime goal of, of visiting Utah. So uh, big thank you for joining me all the way from uh, the US. Well, you ever show up here, you're more than welcome to come visit me. I'm serious. It's been great talking with you. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. A big thank you to Grant Aston for joining me all the way from the US. What a funny guy. Go and have a look at his uh, YouTube channel, Grant Aston, and... Uh, He's pretty, he's got a funny sense of humor. I can tell you that. He's got a very funny sense of humor, and you might find him quite entertaining. So go and uh, subscribe to his page and see if we can boost the numbers. And whilst you're at it, subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends, expand the audience, tell them how much you're joining it. You know, all those people that sent me a message saying when they saw the title of last week's episode where we talked propellers with uh, Robert Taylor, and uh, they said to me, oh, I didn't think it was going to be a good podcast, but that was one of the best. It was really an engaging discussion. They learned a lot about propellers and were really intrigued. And uh, I was really happy to hear that because I enjoy those kind of episodes as well. So uh, get on board, tell your friends, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the Facebook and the Instagram and keep this party going. I'm hoping that Ben Sullivan happens this weekend. If it does... I'm going to bring you some sights and sounds from it uh, in the form of a video. Probably hoping to take some, some photographs. Going to be, I've already booked my accommodation. I'm positive. I'm, I'm going to be there for two days. And I've actually told a friend of mine to bring a warbird for me. I'm still a bit incapacitated due to an arm injury. Can't lift models around a bit too much. So I said to my... And I don't even own a warbird. Uh, but anyway, a friend of mine's got plenty. And I said, can you please bring me a warbird to have a fly? And he said, yes. So I'm hoping to get a fly in. Hoping to shoot some video for you. I've been to have some fun at a flying field that I haven't been to. I haven't been to a flying field in probably three months now, I reckon. Maybe two months. Let's say two months. Anyway, hopefully the weather stays good. Hope weather is good where you are and you're getting out enjoying this hobby. Thanks for joining me. I should be back next week. No, I will be back. I've already lined up a guest for next week, so I'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.